I'm Paul Irwin and welcome to the Pros.com podcast, where we discuss everything translation and interpreting related, including how to get new clients, areas of specialization, technical skills, software localization, machine translation, diversification, and more. Pros.com, helping freelance translators and interpreters succeed. This is episode 52. I'm Paul Irwin and today I'm going to be interviewing Molly Urich and a fantastic, uh, fantastic interviewer is as well. So if you are interested in subtitling in any way, then stick around. Don't forget to check out what's going on over at training.pros.com. The workshop that is mentioned during this uh, podcast is up there on that page, as are all of our other audiovisual translation offerings. So that's training.pros.com. I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to interview Molly. Molly Urich is a freelance Spanish to English translator and subtitler based in northern Spain. She specializes in tourism translation and her subtitles can be seen on the world's largest streaming service. Molly also serves as deputy chair of the American Translators Association PR Committee. You can visit her website at www.uricktranslations.com. Molly, welcome to the show. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Oh, delighted to have you on today and uh, really interested, really looking forward to hearing a little bit about your your journey, your journey into subtitling. But let's um, let's take it back uh, a little bit further than that. So let's take it back to where you, um, or how you got started, just in the languages industry in general, and 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 yeah, where did where did this uh, this whole journey start for you, Molly? Oh, I could I could start as far back as when I was a little kid. <laughs> I went to a Spanish yeah. immersion school as a kid in, in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, my parents traveled a lot. They signed me up for Spanish immersion school, and I don't think they really expected me to then end up in in Spain, where I live now. <laughs> it maybe would have changed their mind about that. <laughs> they like coming out to visit and all that, but my journey with Spanish started a long, long time ago. So, what was um, that like then? What was that? Spanish immersion like then? Oh, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, I really, really loved it. I really connected with Spanish and Spanish speaking cultures. I mean, my my elementary school was very much focused on, of course, more Mexican and South American Spanish being yep. in the States. Yep. Um, and we had teaching assistants that would come up from Mexico mostly. Um, some came from Spain um, to help teach in the classroom and give us that native kind of introduction to the language. And my parents were really involved in the school. We had teaching assistants who lived with us um, because they needed host families with places to live. So we had a couple of Mexican teaching assistants live with us. And I just, I loved it. It was something I really, really enjoyed um, growing up. And so Spanish was just always something I really liked. So you you were fluent quite early on then, really? Yeah, I was very fluent from, well, from, so in kindergarten there with five years, they start introducing you to Spanish. And then um, in first grade, we had our entire school day was in Spanish. And first through fifth grade was all Spanish. We had one wow. English class to make sure, of course, we were learning English as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> learning to read and write in English. Um, but it was mostly Spanish. And then my middle school was about half and half the half yeah. the classes were in Spanish, half in English. 
And then high school was just one advanced Spanish class. And then I just loved it so much. I, I kept studying Spanish in, in college, also in Minnesota. Wow. Um, is that, so, so just on the school, is that, is that type of school common in the States? You know, it's becoming more and more common. I think, I think when I went, my school was the first, if not one of the first to, to have us do Spanish immersion or language immersion. Yeah. I know now in the Twin Cities area in, in Minnesota, where I'm from, I know now there's a few, quite a few Spanish schools. There's also French, German, and Chinese, I believe. Wow. Um, so wow. It's becoming a more common model. You know, there's so many different languages and cultures in the States that, um, I think it's a really, you know, good selling point for parents who want their kids to have yeah. you know, more, be able to work with more languages, especially because, you know, this stereotype that Americans don't speak more than one language. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Yeah, they're becoming more popular. And would you agree that Colombian Spanish is the best Spanish? Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually don't know very much Colombian Spanish. I, uh, yeah. I have never had... No, I did. I had my third grade teacher was Colombian. Senorita Manrique was her name. Very good. Very <laughs> oh, good. I loved her. She was my favorite. So, okay. Maybe yeah, I'll well, put everyone, it. Everyone always has this thing about which is the best, which is the best Spanish or is it, you know. Is, um, uh, I just think Spanish is so beautiful that I, I could, you could convince me of any probably. Yeah. Well, that's great, isn't it? Okay. But Mexican Spanish has a soft place in my heart because it's the first kind of uh-huh. one that I use. So when I, when I travel to Mexico or speak with Mexicans, I'm Oh, it feels like I'm at home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I struggle a little bit sometimes when I when I travel because obviously I've learned I learned Spanish in Colombia. So different differently to you, I I learned Spanish, started learning Spanish when I when I was thirty. So oh. you know that's quite a difference. Um, and therefore, you know, I, I obviously haven't got to your your level. I would consider myself fluent, but yeah, not not having that sort of um, depth of vocabulary or that depth of experience the mm-hmm. acts and everything else so it's um yeah so I'm a little bit envious in in that sense and definitely when I travel to other places you know to other countries if I go to Peru or or Chile or all those kind of places then then I feel a little bit out of my depth um sometimes especially when there's a number of people talking at the same time um with obviously the different uh the just a different vocabulary that they use really in in, in every in every different country so. Yeah, I mean, Spanish is just incredible. It changes so much. I mean, even here in Spain, you know, there's a town 15 minutes from where I live and they've got their whole, you know, own set of vocabulary and grammar and accent. They've got their own dialect going on. And I mean, 15 minutes up the road, you know, it's not it's yeah. not so far. So yeah. Spanish is just you have to really pick a place and then and then stick with that Spanish. But I'm it happens to me now too, even when I meet someone that's not from Asturias here in the north of Spain. I mean, my Spanish is really good. I could speak to them just fine, but there's some things where I'm like, oh, I missed, I missed that. Yeah. 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 So it, uh, I'm sure Brilliant. your Spanish is great though. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. So you then, you then, con- you then continued um, this uh, love of the language uh, and sort of interest in studying through, through college, right? Yep. Yep. So I, I studied Spanish in college and my, um, my university in university of Minnesota offered at the time, they no longer offer this program, but they offered a certificate in medical interpreting class. Um, it was like a year and a half long program that I was able to complete alongside my Spanish degree. Okay. So I, 
I did that at the same time um, in college. So I had my double major in Spanish and global studies. I did a certificate in medical interpreting and I worked as a medical interpreter actually during college. It was my part-time job. Um, uh, okay. So you were, you were, go- you were already going down that direction then you're going in that mm-hmm. direction. Yeah. Yep. It kind and of what, just was that obvious. Chance. Was that obvious at that point that you were going to go into translation and or interpreting? Not at all. I mean, I, I kind of, I was doing interpreting as a, a part-time job. I, I enjoyed it, but I also was working with, you know, these agencies that, I mean, I was really young. It was, the pay was appropriate for my level of experience, but um, yeah, I didn't see a huge future in it. I wasn't really sure if I was going to continue or not. Um, I did enjoy it. And part of my certificate program was one class in translation. And I actually really didn't care for translation at the time. I wasn't my thing. I was more into interpreting. Um, and when I finished college, I, what was it? No, my last year of college, I think I had a friend's mom said, Oh, could you, do you translate? Could you do this translation for me? And it was like a one page birth certificate. And she paid me like, I don't know, $75 or something. Yeah. I was like, yeah. whoa, okay. Like maybe I have to think about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then from that day on, that was like the only tra- translation I did for a few years, but it was kind of in, in the back of my head. Uh, when I finished college, I came to Spain to teach English, not because I wanted to teach English, but just as a way to get a visa to come here. Yeah. Um, I was here for two years and I met my now husband in my second year of teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. I taught for six years and I really, teaching was just not my thing. I, I did it. It brought money in. It was, it was fine. But um, I started to slowly work in translation services when I wasn't teaching. And so every year I would teach a little less and translate a little more until I could replace that teaching income. And then I quit teaching altogether and became a full-time translator. Wonderful. Wonderful. Brilliant. Brilliant. And your clients were in Spain or elsewhere at this point? They were in the beginning. It was actually mostly American um, clients, big translation agencies, um, you know, that maybe don't have the best reputation, but I, you know, they helped me get my foot in the door, gave me lots of experience. Um, So I mostly started there and it took me, a long time, I would say it took me about four years to feel like I could work full time as a translator. Yep. Um, and to feel like I had enough clients where I wasn't just relying on one huge agency for all of my work because I thought, okay, if something happens to this agency or if, you know, I well, something happens and they disappear, I'm completely out of work and out of an yeah, income. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it took a few years to, to diversify in translation. And um, yeah, I started mostly with agencies. Yeah. And then as I got more into the Spanish market and marketed more to Spanish clients, then I had some few direct clients coming in the door from word of mouth. Um, I live in a relatively small city. So, you know, when people start to figure out that your translator work starts coming your way through word of mouth sometimes, but. Okay. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Well, I mean, it sounds like everything was going great. So you've got, you've, you've made that transition. I think that's, that's, that's really nice. That sort of makes sense. You've talked about uh, not relying on the, the one, the one big client completely. So I can, I can really sort of understand that, that, that evolution. Then you get to a point where you're doing pretty well, you're doing pretty well, everything's going, going great. So 
how come you're now working mostly in subtitling? What 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 happened next? How did you end up on that path? Uh, the lovely pandemic. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was mostly translating for tourism and hospitality businesses. So yep. I was doing a lot of marketing translation for airlines, hotel chains, um, right. you know, tourism companies. I started, I got into this really strange and unexpected niche, which was destination wedding planners in Spain. Um, I realized most destination wedding planners in Spain have uh, lovely websites with terrible English. And so mm-hmm. I started to market to them and it um, it worked out really well. They were all really excited. And I think since it was such a strange kind of niche, I had just gotten married at the time here in Spain. And so, you know, after doing all of my wedding research, I realized like there was a need for that. And none of them had probably ever been reached, you know, contacted by a translator before. So yeah, it worked out yeah. really well. Nice. And so I was just completely, you know, in the tourism world and then also doing, you know, official translations um, for, you know, immigration. So birth certificates and education document transcripts and degrees and things like that um, for people immigrating to the States from Spain as well. And of course, all of that just disappeared because you 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 don't kind of expect world travel and immigration processes to stop, but they did. And so I was. Yeah. um, And did it just work? It just stopped pretty much overnight for you, the work? Yeah. All of a sudden it was just, you know, here in Spain, especially everything closed. I mean, we were locked inside of our apartment for 60 days, we weren't allowed to go out except to go to the supermarket or the pharmacy or something really urgent. So it was quite creepy. You know, you have just all the streets were completely empty. Um, So, of course, all these businesses in Spain that I was translating for were, you know, all closed out of out of business for the time being. A lot of them never reopened. Um, So, yeah, it was completely out of work. So, I mean, apart from, you know, all of the the feelings of, of the of the pandemic, um, and all the difficulties, you know, that, that, that that's caused. Um, how are you feeling work-wise at this point then? You're just, are you, are you in a panic? Are you thinking, oh, next week's going to be better? What, what are you, what are you thinking at this point? You know, it was interesting in the beginning because, um, you know, I had a little bit of work trickling in for a while and I was kind of freaking out. My husband also at the time owned a restaurant and that was brand new. And so um, it was kind oh. of you know, dealing with the emotions of, okay, the restaurant's not going to make it, which it, it yeah. didn't. Um, you know, I, I had no work coming in. Luckily the government here in Spain, you know, is, um, we were able to get help for small business owners. So we were okay financially to get by for, for a as long as those sub, but you don't know how long those subsidies and those, those yeah. that public assistance is going to last. Right. And so, totally, yeah. yeah, you do panic a little bit. Right. But I had had this idea of getting into subtitling in the back of my mind for a while. Um, I've always loved TV series and movies like my yeah. place is a bowl of popcorn and a foreign <laughs> language TV show on a Friday night. And um, I've always watched things with subtitles on as a translator. You know, you're always like analyzing them and watching them and taking notes. And you're like, oh, that's, that was good. That was bad. This was that. And so it was always in the back of my mind. And all of a sudden I had time, you know, like I said, we were locked inside our apartments yeah. for 60 days. I had no paying work. 
And I thought, okay, I'm going to try and break into this specialization of subtitling because up until then it's one of those things where you think like, okay, do I stop, do I stop working to study for subtitling or to try and market or train myself to become a subtitler when I could be making money instead? You know, it's a hard decision to make because you don't know if it's going to work out. You don't know if you're going to like it. You don't know if it's going to be a good fit, if you're going to be able to make money. And so this was the perfect opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to use this time to just dive headfirst into subtitling and see if it works out. And, um, and it did. So I just uh, spent all of my time for those 60 days um, studying. I took a subtitling course. Um, I got a mentor. I did. I really took it on full time. I marketed full time. I revamped my website, revamped my CV, my resume, um, and made it happen. So I, yeah, the 60 days, you know, the, the pandemic, of course, brought a lot of terrible things for a lot of people. And uh, sure. Of course, I mean, that that goes without saying, but for me, it, it it really helped me dive into this new specialization that I had been thinking about for a long time. Wow. Wow. And, and when did you get your, your first job then? Was that after the two month period? Yeah. So I took, um, I don't know if I remember the timeline exactly. I've got it written down somewhere, but it was, I think it took me about three or four months to complete a subtitling course and um, start marketing. But from the time I started marketing, to the time I had full-time work was only about three weeks. So, yeah, um, I mean, I was working on a lot of things simultaneously. Yeah. Cause in the end you can't, at least for me, my brain doesn't work that way. I can't just study all day. So, you know, study part yeah, of the yeah. day, work on my website, another part of the day, work on marketing, another part of the day, but I was doing a lot of things and, uh, it ended up working out. But after, you know, the second I finished my subtitling course, I started marketing full-time and then within two or three weeks I had, almost full-time subtitling work. Um, so I think my first project for subtitling paid project was maybe in June or July after the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I think I had full-time work around August. So. Oh, so that's about, was, that's about a year and a half over a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So it was just over a year and a half ago. And for me, the biggest difference between, you know, trying to break into translation and breaking into subtitling, breaking into subtitling was so much easier than breaking into translation in my experience. And, uh, you know, why, I was still not why, sure. Why do you think oh, that was Molly? I'm not sure exactly why. I don't know. You know, it's hard to know. Is it okay? I've already got a name built for myself and, um, experience and a good online presence, um, for my business and my translation. I'd been translating for maybe eight years, six or eight years at the time. I can never remember when I started translating since I transitioned quite slowly. Um, But I've been translating for a while. I break into subtitling and it was so fast. And I don't know if it was, you know, my name, like I said, my name's already out there. I'm experienced and I make this transition and it's easy because people can see I'm an experienced translator and that I have some kind of a professional reputation. I also do think though that, um, there is such a big need for subtitlers that are trained in subtitling, right? I think a lot of translators want to become subtitlers or would like to diversify with subtitling, but maybe they haven't invested in that skill or learned how to do that skill. Um, and so it's harder for clients to take them on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, 
yeah, it was it was pretty quick. I was I was quite surprised. You know, I'd reach out to an agency. Okay, can you start uh, like tomorrow? We have a call. I'm like, what? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. But it still happens now. We're just uh, last week. I I uh, sent a cold email to an agency here in in Spain. I think they're in Madrid. Yeah. Hi, I'm I'm in Oviedo. Do you? Do you need subtitlers? Sure, I've got a project starting tomorrow. Can you work full time for the next day? I'm like, wait, really? Is this happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's, oh, I, I see that brilliant. there's a really big demand for for trained yeah, subtitlers, yeah, and there's definitely. there's work out there. There yeah. is a lot of work out there right now, of course, and we're we're going through this uh, content explosion and this uh, the age of streaming. I think is what I a phrase I heard the other day. So yeah, obviously. Lots of uh, lots of content, lots of need out there. That's brilliant. So, so where are you now, um, Molly? In terms of, um, are you working on this one hundred percent of your time? Are you tempted to go back to translation? Do you still offer translation services or traditional translation services? And where are you? What's your portfolio like right now? Yeah, so I would say about um, I think about ninety percent of the work that I do is subtitling now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my tourism clients have come back to life now that the pandemic has has ended, kind of, and things are mm. you know, going back to normal. Yeah. Uh, but mostly just subtitling, and I, it's something I really, really enjoy. I think, um, you know, especially as as a foreigner living in in Spain, I've I'm in really close contact with the culture and the language, and so it's a good fit in the sense that. Um, you know, I'm used to the slang and the expressions and the historical and cultural references that come along with subtitling for, for content, you know, streaming services or films and series and things like that. And so I find it really fulfilling and and really fun. Um, also very challenging, but really, really fun. I would like to do some more translation as well, you know, because in the end, it's nice to mix things up and, sure, yeah. and keep things interesting. But um yeah, I see myself sticking with subtitling. It's something I, I, and really it, I mean, it is quite different. The whole process. I mean, obviously, you are you are translating texts, and then you are creating subtitles. But it's a, it's a completely different workflow to translation, right? It's completely different. I mean, one of the one of my biggest struggles with um, you know trend, with um, subtitling is how different the workflow is especially if you're working on like a series that's launching now, you know, thing deadlines are tight, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also can't really tell you exactly when the episode will be ready for subtitling because they're still working on it. You know? And so yeah, 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 uh, yeah. they might assign you episode one and they say, okay, we think episode two will come in this date. So there was a series that I took on um, last year. And what was supposed to take just a few months took eight. And so it was it was just all of a sudden the episode is there and you know the world has to stop because this episode came in. Yeah. Um, so it's quite a lot of pressure those, to get it back quickly, very quickly. Right. And dealing with those longer workflows, right? So with at least in my experience with the type of translation that I do, it's usually, okay, I'm going to send this to you tomorrow or today. And can you get it to me by Wednesday? And you send it yeah. off. And yeah said and done with subtitling, you know, the, the, the workflows are a lot longer. And then sometimes they even will send you an episode that hasn't been finalized yet. And so you're working on, you know, something that's not the final cut. So you do make the subtitles and then they send them back to you and then you have to, you know, 
conform them or, or you know, fix them to the new mm-hmm. final cut of the episode. And so it can kind of go on for, feel like it can go on forever. <laughs> but some people love that process and some people would struggle with it. So, I, I mean, I, I, the thing I'm thinking here, Molly, is for, for everyone who's listening to this right now, I, I think this is probably the most important part of this episode is, is to actually think about whether you would enjoy the subtitling process because we can talk about how to do it we can talk about the money side of things as well we can talk about all of those things but if you're going to enjoy the process and invest your time in learning the process as as you did well you you did that because you were passionate about it because you had an interest in it right from the beginning mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think that was one of my biggest fears when i decided you know when i started to think about going to subtitling i thought what if i invest all this time and then i hate it Right. And yeah. um, I had a wonderful mentor who helped, who talked to me through a lot of those uh, things when I was first starting. And one of her big things was, okay, you, uh, you have to be ready for TV to never be the same again. She said, you're still going to enjoy it, but you're not going to enjoy <laughs> it in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be ready to sit on your sofa with a little notebook on the couch next to you. So you can take notes on subtitles you're going to want to watch things with subtitles. You'll take, you'll be thinking about the quality of the subtitles all the time. Um, you know, so it changes, it changes that part of your life. I've been totally fine with that change because yeah. I really enjoy subtitling. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and another thing, um, I, always, I always call subtitling the art of multi, like the, the culmination of multitasking, right? Because yep. Okay, with subtitling, you're you're translating, especially when you're when you're translating and subtitling from Spanish, as you well know, Spanish speakers love to just speak at a thousand miles an hour. Mm. They say a lot of words <laughs> in yeah. very short yeah. period of time, and when you subtitle, you know the subtitles are constrained by characters per line and characters per second limits. Yes. Right. So depending yeah. on how yeah. long the speaker is speaking. You know, when they start speaking, when they end speaking, how much they say, you oftentimes have to do what we call truncate or, you know, condense that into something that makes sense. So you have to be able to objectively listen and say, okay, of the 7,000 words that person just said, because she's angry and she's yelling at her boyfriend, (laughs) how can I cut that down into, you know, 42 characters and 17 characters per second so that the viewer is still having that same, you know, as close to possible as the same viewing experience as someone who can understand it Mm. and like, you know, summarizing and cutting out. And then you have to, you know, follow all of those um, style guide specifications. You know, it's, it sounds easy thinking, okay, the subtitle starts where someone starts speaking and ends where someone ends speaking, but you know, really, there's a lot of rules as to where a subtitle can begin, where it can end. Uh, so how long it can be, how short it can be. So you have to pay attention to a yeah. lot of things. Yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. That's something yeah. I like about it. And as you get more experience, it's completely second nature. In the beginning, it drives you absolutely insane. Um, and, and again, that comes back to the type of person that, that, that you are and, and the type of work that you like to do. Would you prefer mm-hmm. to focus on on a document or would you, are you, are you, interested in doing this type of workflow which is clearly you know very different so it's about finding that right the right fit which has been a great yes, fit and, for and, you right and and i think with subtitling especially are you the type of person who can let go a little 
Yeah, because you're not going to be able to include everything. Uh, you're going to have to do some some summarizing or some cutting out of content. Are you a person who can let go of that language? Because in, in translation, you don't have that issue usually, right? But um, yeah. in, in subtitling, you do. And I think with a lot of our translator hearts, you know, you can't just not be 100% true to the source. But with subtitling, you know, you, yeah. you have to know when to let go. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff, Molly. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for taking us through that. I think that's definitely given us a, a flavor. I do have one more question. Um, and that is, I, I don't really want to make a big discussion about it, but I do want, I think it's important to ask how the rates, because there's a lot of press and everything else about this, how, how the rates have worked out for you. Um, sounds like you're doing pretty well, but, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear it from, from you. How's that part worked for you, Molly? Yeah, so I think with subtitling, it's it's very similar to, I found it similar to translation in the sense that you have clients that will pay you pennies and you have clients that will pay you well. And so it's, it's finding those clients um, and project types that work well for you. I mean, I'm still relatively new, so I'm still at the point where this week I'm working on a project that I'm making pennies without knowing I was going to make pennies. I negotiated a rate I thought was fair. Okay. But in the end, once you get into the nitty gritty, is sometimes it's a lot harder than it seems. That's the thing with subtitling. You know, sometimes they, uh, your output really depends on how much of the time they're talking. <laughs> yes. Which, depending on the show or the content, you know. If, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't. So um, there is an abundance of low rates, a great abundance of low rates. I won't, I won't lie about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there are certain projects and certain clients that pay well, but it's putting in the work and the time to find those clients and those projects and a lot of trial and error. I mean, okay. in the beginning, well, especially sounds- subtitling, you're moving really slow, really, really slow. So I'll give you an idea. When I first started, I was accepting really low rates because I was completely new and I just wanted the experience. Yep. And I was making something like $5 an hour. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's not the case anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm working a lot faster, and I've moved up with my rates and my clients. Um, yes, yes. So. Okay, so there is. I mean, there is that that transition, but I mean that or that evolution. That that sounds um, similar to translation in many ways. So there are, there are lots of low rates in the industry, but there are lots of successful translators out there who are happy with their clients and happy with their rates. And yes, lots of people will say something similar. It's about finding the right clients, about finding the right fit. It's about developing your expertise and so on and so on. So in that way, it sounds similar. Right. I mean, I, um, I also, I still market to, to translation agencies and to translation, some translation clients sometimes. And I still run into agencies, you know, I've got 10 years of experience under my belt and I still run into agencies that want to pay me three cents, $3 cents a w- per word. And it's just like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you keep, you, you know, you're always going to be running into that paywall. Right. And you just have to keep at it until you find something that works. But the money's out there. I mean, I'm making more money now than I was when I was um, in translation. So it's worked. It's worked. Okay. Well that, that, yeah, I think that last statement is really, is really powerful. And, you know, in your case, it's, it's, it's clearly, it's clearly worked out and um, yeah, really, really good for you. Good for you, Molly. I think, I I think it is, it's about, it's about finding the right clients. And I think this debate of of rates and, and, and so on will will go on forever. But I think that 
the, the, the other interesting thing that I would add um, to what you've said is that you don't actually need thousands of clients in order to um, fill up your time effectively and also therefore um, make money effectively, right? So you, you know, it obviously depends on the size of the client. You might need three clients, you might need 10, you might need 15. Depends how often how long they're lasting, how often they're coming back to you. But you you, you know, you don't need th- a thousand clients, right? So if you can find a certain number of good clients, then you, you're going to be all set. Yes, completely. I mean, I think, you know, it's important to have more than just one or two clients. So the first three or four years of my translation business, I was mostly working with one client. And that's, you know, eventually not sustainable. But you, yeah, you don't need many. I mean, I... yeah. Subtitling, I wouldn't know off the top of my head to tell you how many clients I work with consistently, but I would say it's probably around five or six. It's under 10 for yeah. sure. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Under 10 clients. So, wow. For the most wonderful, part. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Molly, we're, we're delighted, of course, that you are, you are hosting a workshop on the pros platform, on the pros training platform, how to break into the subtitling market, a step by step workshop. So, tell us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so um, the workshop, I start with giving a bit of an introduction into, um, you know, defining subtitling, talking about how the industry is set up and what it looks like today um, and different ways you can diversify even within the world of of audiovisual translation. Uh, And after that, I go into a step-by-step guide, which in which I detail exactly how I broke into subtitling, what I did um, and how I did it quickly. I mean, obviously I had the situation of having a lot of time, but I hope that when people take the workshop, the goal of the workshop is for people to walk away with a very clear idea of the steps to follow to become a subtitler mm-hmm. if if that's what you know they want to do. So it's got a very specific step-by-step guide. Um, I talk a lot about marketing. Um, what worked for me with marketing, uh, subtitling courses I took and, and things like that. So wonderful, wonderful, fantastic. Well, that's on the 14th of April at 3 PM GMT. It's uh, currently priced at $50 and head on over to training.pros.com to sign up for that. It sounds, uh, sounds fantastic, Molly. I'm really, really looking forward to that. And, uh, you've clearly, you've clearly got a lot of knowledge on this subject and I just, I just love hearing about your 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 journey, your transition into subtitling. I'm really looking forward to to finding out more about all of those uh, specifics and and your sort of step by step guide. So yeah, just uh, just fantastic, brilliant. That's uh, that's training.pros.com. Molly, I'll leave you with the last word. Please uh, please don't hesitate to uh, add anything you wish to, and also share your share your website so we can uh, go on over and have a look at that as well. Oh, sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. It was really nice chatting and I'm really looking forward to um, teaching this course and meeting all of you who decide to join. Um, you know, if anyone has any questions, you're more than welcome to you know, reach out to me and ask any questions. And my website is www.yuricktranslations.com. So uh, my Yurik is Y-U-R-I-C-K. And my email is molly at yuricktranslations.com. If you have any questions about, about the course or anything else, I'd be happy to answer them. Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks so much, Molly. That's been uh, fantastic. I've really enjoyed talking to you today and uh, look forward to seeing you again very soon. 
April the 14th in that uh, in that workshop. Great, thank you. Brilliant. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Great stuff from Molly. A big thank you to her. Don't forget to check out training.pros.com and I will see you next time. All the best. Bye-bye.